Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I told you last week that I my subject today would, was going to be the Bartimaeus effect. So I'm going to read you a passage of scripture. I'm going to start with Bartimaeus and I'm going to end with Bartimaeus. Okay? Y'all ready for the scripture? I'm going to read from Mark, the 10th chapter, starting with verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. I never saw this until this week. Bartimaeus, Timaeus. It's kind of like David Binion, Carson Binion. Uh, It's like Timaeus. What an unusual name. The son of Timaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, set by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I know he was yelling because there's an exclamation point right there. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Another exclamation. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is called. The same people that are trying to hush him are now saying, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. Have you ever seen anybody in here before? You feel like somebody, they need to, somebody go over and calm them down a little bit. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Be of good cheer, they said. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment. Sometimes there are things that we just need to throw aside if we want to get to Jesus. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Almost an absurd question when you see the context of the story. When you know how the story ends, you're like, why did he ask that? He wasn't asking him a question to get information. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. There's layers and layers of of revelation in this passage of scripture. We see that Jesus can do anything. We see that he is the healer. But, But what I want you to see from this passage today is what it took to get the attention of Jesus. So I'm going to start like this. I travel so much with American Airlines, so many miles a year, so many legs to different cities that I have earned a special status with the airline. Anybody have status with an airline? Maybe you get it because you have miles you use on your credit card. Every mile, you get a mile for every dollar you spend. So with, uh, I remember uh, when we lived in Nashville, we traveled whatever. There was no really, it, it was a Southwest hub, so we traveled Southwest a lot. We'd travel United. If that was the cheapest flight, we'd fly Delta a lot. We'd fly American on occasion. But when we moved to Dallas, the, it was really the better 
choice was always American Airlines because it was the cheapest. Even uh, even in contest to uh, Southwest, it was always it could have been thirty dollars cheaper. So I would choose the cheaper flight, which turned out to be American Airlines. And we traveled and we traveled and we traveled. And next thing you know, I get this little gold card in the mail that says, I have achieved gold status. I'm like, all right. I mean, really, for me, for me, the, the only thing that I ever was excited about getting the miles is because I knew if I got enough miles, I could get a free ticket somewhere. Always being the steward. But now, what does this mean? What does this offer? And I start reading the details, and I get one free bag. They're not going to charge me for a bag. So I get, and so that's, that's a privilege that I didn't know I could get. Then we kept traveling. We traveled a lot that year. And next thing I know, a couple months later, I get a little silver card in the mail. They have moved me up to platinum. Whoa, this feels good. I mean, I've got a Platinum American Express, and I know I get, like, special things, and it costs me. It costs me several hundred dollars a year to have membership, but, you know, it makes me feel important to have the American Express Platinum. But I didn't do anything to get the Platinum status with American Airlines. And so now I start looking at the fine print, and now I get two free bags. Not only two free bags, but anybody that is that is attached to my reservation, my wife, my kids, anytime we travel with the band, everybody gets, you get two free bags, and you get two free bags, and you get two free bags. So, all right. So I would get, occasionally, I would get... If, the, if it was like maybe less than 500 miles wherever I'm flying to, I would get an automatic upgrade to first class. Oh, I like these chairs up here. I'd always pay attention when I'm boarding the flight, and I would like, who sits up here? Because they always board first, right? So you check them out. What are they wearing? Sometimes they have little children in first class. You're taking up a whole seat in first class for a little munchkin, a little hobbit. And, uh, uh, but I loved it when I got to, uh, to get upgraded to first class. And then, and then the next week I would go fly somewhere else and I didn't get the upgrade. And it was just a little disappointing to go back to coach. If you don't travel a lot, you don't appreciate what I'm telling you. But then they created this new level called Platinum Pro. I guess it's for the professionals. You get more bags. You get preferential boarding you get, like, you get to go outside of first class, you're next in line. You're number two on the list. But then I took an international trip, and they flew me on American Airlines, and suddenly I got like 20,000 miles just like that, and I got bumped to executive platinum. <laughs> Do you have any idea... Do you have any idea the privileges that come being executive platinum? Now I want you to know that I, I didn't I didn't do anything except just fly. Just kept flying. I didn't like pay for like I do American Express. I got executive platinum, and then I find myself getting upgraded about ninety five percent of my flights. You know, in some cases, first class still serves food and on the long flights. And you get little snacks. But, but it's like, it's still, it's, you love flying first class, especially if you, have to, if you fly overseas. If you go, like, fly to London or fly to Australia, fly to Israel, we've been on those, on those trips first class. Oh, those seats don't just recline. 
they go all the way down into like a little bed and they give you pillows and blankets. The privileges that we didn't know were available to us. All we had to do was fly. You already see in the prophetic implication here. The privileges in the kingdom that we don't even know are available to us. So, a week ago, first class was sold out. And my executive platinum status didn't give me the privilege of the upgrade. It was just a little disappointing going back to coach. Right? I don't, I mean, you don't think I'm being conceited, right? You know, you just, you, it's like, you know, I've, I've driven hoopty cars. <laughs> then I've had nicer cars. My first car was this, was a little brown two-door Sentra that almost was a little rusty. I thought it was brown. No, it was actually rust. Uh, and it served me well until I traded up for a Honda Civic, four-door baby blue Honda Civic. I loved my Honda Civic. And then I progressed to an Accord. And then we finally got, I thought we were driving uh, a hoopty car when we got that first black Camry, Toyota Camry, right? And uh, so, so, we understand. We like there are things, nice things that we we, we discover the privilege, and then uh, suddenly you find yourself back in that Sentra, and you realize it's not brown, it's rust, <laughs> and this just doesn't feel the same. So I've set you up with all of that to say this: I have attended enough good church services to last me a lifetime. Good just isn't good enough anymore. I don't want to hear any more good singing. I don't want to hear any more good preaching. In fact, I get a little bored listening to myself. I'm not that great. But when the unction comes and you feel yourself being elevated into the status that is available, suddenly good becomes greater. Would you be interested in tasting something good when you know the best is waiting in the kitchen? I said to you weeks ago, we were still over at the Marriott. And we were just having a beautiful prayer time. Uh, and, and I said these. I don't know if you remember. I said, this is what's on the menu. Jesus is on the menu. You're not getting anything else. Jesus is the only thing. His presence is the only thing on the menu. We experience a taste or a hint of God's glory every time we find ourselves in places that we like to call revival. His glory is a spirit thing. And so it defies definition. It's something we sense. It's something that you can't explain scientifically, right? There's a feeling or an inner sense that God is approaching, that warns us that something very large and powerful is drawing near. Yeah. Do you ever felt that way? Yeah. Do you ever feel that way in a service? Yeah. When this happens, we tend to handle it much of the time like an inexperienced sprint race. We sense he's near and we start running. We explode out of the blocks with this energy, this, and we're in pursuit of God's presence, and we continue at this pace, this fast pace, until we begin to feel 
the discomfort of the hunt. Do you ever you know, run in? Like I got up today and, and I was having this little cramp in my leg. Uh, do you ever just see you're out running, you're walking, and you start feeling the pain? And like, or you're running and your side starts hurting, and you just kind of like pause. You're running and you're like, oh, oh something's just not right. Yeah, I, I've learned that you have to run past that pain. Some of us start feeling our strength fading. Our senses become dull to the things around us as we gasp for breath. With one last burst of energy, we stretch forward and lunge for the line, only to stumble forward and fall short of the finish line. When the dust settles, we open our eyes and all the other runners made it and we fell short of what we were supposed to achieve. Yeah. By falling or by stopping too soon in our pursuit, we fail to press forward all the way through to the finish line. We're racing to false finish lines and we are not able to seize the prize that is available to us. We're not able to seize the benefit of the upgrade. Bible tells us on the mountaintop of Israel when Peter, James, and John went with Jesus, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. They uh, sleepily opened their eyes just enough to see Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus in a cloud of glory. Peter interrupts and said, let's build a monument. I mean, this... He, he sees Moses and Elijah and he says, let's build a monument for Moses and Elijah and Jesus as if to consider that Moses and Elijah were equal to Jesus. Yeah. Now, Moses, this is the Moses that prayed. It's been 10 lifetimes. He prayed to see the face. He said, show me your face. Yeah. Here he is. Jesus is peeling back his flesh, revealing the glorified Jesus. Yeah. And Peter is still talking, and the father interrupts him and said, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. Then everybody and everything else faded except the exalted one. Too often we stop short of what is right in front of us. Because our flesh gets excited. But we want to interrupt God revealing himself and say, it's good we are here. We stumble into a sacred moment. And have you ever just been in a service and... You feel the nearness of God and some well-meaning, good-hearted person wrecks the moment. So, so in all of the revivals, in all the revivals that we've been able to experience, we've been in revivals where there was much weeping. I mean, like mucus. A lot of crying. Joseph Garlington said a real move of God, a real indication of the move of God is mucus. <laughs> and then we've been in revivals where everybody laughs themselves silly. I remember we were in a meeting with Tommy Tenney in Oregon. And Tommy's ministering. And everywhere Tommy went, people would just begin sobbing, weeping. And so there's just this 
this awareness of the glory of God in the room. And some lady over on the front row just starts one of those laughing things. I guess she's been to Rodney Howard Brown's and she thinks her reaction to the glory is laughter. And Tommy just walked over her and said, ma'am, excuse me, you're interrupting the move of God. Uh, I, you know, I've never been bold enough to go shut somebody up. Instead, I'll say, Larry, go back there and drag them out. It's no longer acceptable to me to just have some good services, good music, or good preaching. We must meet. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I'm sorry, I just went too far. I'll drink to that. I don't know what that was. Uh, let me try to start this again. I am weary of almost services. I don't want that here. I want people to know that if you come for good meetings, you've got the wrong building, you've got the wrong model, you've got the wrong pastor and the wrong building. But if what you're after is God himself, then welcome to the brotherhood of the burning heart. I'll say that again. If what you're looking for is him, welcome to the brotherhood of the burning heart. I knew that was in my notes, and when I picked that little hymn to sing, oh, let me see if it's still here. Oh, I love the lyric about the flame. Uh, All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. Mm. It was the lukewarm church of Laodicea that Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, and y'all don't have the scripture, that's okay, I'm just going to read it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I just want to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is shopping for the place of the next outbreak. He's standing at the front door of our churches looking for someone like David who prepared a place for his weighty presence, a place where worshipers are willing to prop open the doors of heaven with their upraised hands so that his glory can come down. God is looking for a person a church, a city that will hear his gentle knock and open the door for him. Can you hear it in the spirit? Can you hear it? He's, he's knocking even now. The scriptures picture, they show us the Lord knocking on doors in both the Old and the New Testament. We see him prophetically knocking on the door of his own house in the Song of Solomon, seeking the attention of his beloved, the church. Why would the door of his own house be locked? 
It's because he's given away the key. He told Peter, I'm giving you the key. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. The Lord gave us the key to his own appearance when he gave us the ability to open the windows of heaven and close the gates of hell. The latch is on our side. The lover of our souls has persistently knocked at the doors of his house, but we respond like Solomon's bride. I encourage you to go read through the Song of Solomon and find this. I'm just going to read little portions from it. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I can't, I can't imagine coming home. Now, I've come home before, and uh, I like to go pick up a rental car, and I didn't have my garage door opener, and I come home, and Nicole has the door locked, and I can't get in the house. I can't imagine ringing the doorbell and my wife not wanting to come and let me in the door. But she said, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? God's betrothed lover and bride has become too comfortable. She refuses to open the door because it's inconvenient. The cost of intimacy is just too high. The discomfort of it all has bred an apathy that urges us to move slowly and casually when our beloved knocks at the door. But then the knocking stops. It happened right there in the passage. The knocking stops. We find ourselves rousing like Solomon's lazy bride. When we finally run to the door and unlock it, all that is left is the fragrance of where he had been. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. I wrote a song 20-something years ago when we traveled with Tommy Tenney during his God Chaser movement. There was a knock at my heart. I don't know why I delayed. When I opened the door, just your fragrance remained. And now I'll run through the street and everyone that I see I keep asking, have you seen my lover? This is a romance divine I've waited for all my life. I am finally coming to my senses. This is the sad state of the overly contented church of today. And if we're not careful, we may find ourselves barren like David's wife, Michael. We said last week, we talked about she was indignant at David's extravagant worship. And David's response was, I'll even become unmore dignified than this. Could it be that even the state of her heart created an environment of impossibility for David to even want to be intimate with her? I mean, we don't know. We can just suppose. But she became barren, fruitless. The church's reluctance. I think this is an important sentence because I made it in all caps. The church's reluctance to pay the seemingly high cost of intimate worship is the root cause 
of our barrenness. The bride of Christ has grown accustomed to living in the king's house in his absence. But if she would return to the passion and hunger of her first love, she would never be so content unless the king himself were present with her in the house. Instead, the modern day church seems to stir just enough at the master's knock to moan and say, oh no, not now. The football game is at noon. Don't move in here now. We got reservations. Don't, don't move now. I'm too comfortable. Can it wait? I've already taken off my shoes and propped up my feet. Can it wait? Do I have to open the door now? The most alarming time is not when God comes to knock on your door. It's when the knocking stops. We instantly forget the importance of our comfort and our lifestyle when the divine stops knocking. Mm. I remember the moment the encounter that changed everything. I remember the visitation. I remember when the glory of God came into our church. And for three months, every time we'd drive up on the parking lot, we'd drive into him. We'd walk in the building and we would walk into him. And I remember week after week, having to throw away the set list because what we had prepared wasn't appropriate for what was already in the room. So we had to start somewhere else. But I also remember I'm going to be careful how I say this because I don't want to judge anybody. But there was just this inability or there was this not knowing how to pastor revival and things were said and it was, you'd almost feel the grief of the Holy Spirit in the room. And I remember the day it left. It was actually the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Interesting that I tell this story now. It was the Sunday before Thanksgiving and I felt the glory leave and I didn't even know what to do. I remember on Thanksgiving Day, we had lunch with my family, and I left, drove to the church, went into my office, and wrote my resignation letter. I didn't toy with it. I just I felt like God showed me that this chapter of your life is over. I just simply couldn't go back to what was when the knocking stopped. And I've spent the better part of 20 plus years pursuing the place of his presence. There are times where the hint of his glory hits a room and everyone is like enamored by the reality of how near he is. But even so, I've been discontent because God is this going to be the day you do it again? I'm tired of flying in coach. I, I just can't. I want to be bougie. 
I just, I don't want good. I want you. I rose up to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh and my fingers with liquid myrrh, which he had left upon the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and withdrawn himself and was gone. The Amplified Bible tells us that when the king's betrothed bride put her fingers on the bolt of the door, they came away dripping with the liquid myrrh left behind by the king. All she had left was the fragrance of where he used to be. I'm afraid that if we don't open the door when our beloved knocks, when the dove of the Holy Spirit settles, if we fail to open the windows of heaven with our repentant worship, if we remain unwilling to create an opening for God's glory to enter our world, then at some point all we'll have left is the fragrance of where he used to be. And some are happy with that. I think those that are happy, it's not because they wouldn't appreciate the more. It's just they've never encountered the more. So they become content with the nearness. They're content to just smell the fragrance or the tingle. But I'm no longer interested in past visitations. I've got some to talk about. I can tell you my past visitations, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. What about you? Vicarious visitations through the pages of history can no longer satisfy. I'm weary of reading about revival. I must meet the reviver. It's like this week, Nicole and I uh, both left town. I went to Nashville to write for a few days, and she went to Chicago to spend time with her mother. And so I got home Thursday. She got home Friday. And I go into our room to go to sleep that night, and I pull her pillow and cuddle. And I can smell her. But, oh, the great joy. Friday, when I went to the airport and see her smiling face as she walked to the car. FaceTime is always better than a pillow that smells like her. I vacuumed, went in her closet, I vacuumed, and I could smell her perfume on some of her clothes. And, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same as seeing her face. I'll stop before I get too romantic. Moses prayed, show me your face. I must see your face. I'm not satisfied snuggling with your pillow. I'm not satisfied sitting in this room remembering what used to be. I must have you. It's time 
for us to spring up from our couches of complacency to answer the gentle knock at the door. You and I are hearing that knock right now. But what bothers me most is the fear that at any moment the knocking may stop. It could happen. It's happened before. During the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, people threw their clothing and palm branches into the street to pave the way for Jesus as he rode on an untamed colt. The disciples shouted praises to God with new levels of passion, saying, blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That really angered the Pharisees because they rejected the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah. When the Pharisees demanded that Jesus silence his disciples, he told them that even the rocks would cry out if I told them to be quiet. His words as he looked over Jerusalem describe what it's like when he stops knocking. He said this. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, if you had known, dwell church, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Sounds like our culture today. <laughs> and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Another place Jesus said in the Beatitudes, I knocked and you didn't answer. I visited and you did not receive me. The Gospel of Luke says, Jesus looked at Jerusalem and wept. I believe he wept with the intensity of a spurned lover being rejected. He said, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that our salvation is in jeopardy. I am saying we could easily miss the hour of our visitation. The visitation of the Shekinah presence. We could miss the opportunity to give God that for which he longs the most. Our worship. Our communion. I want the band to come back and get ready. I got to land this plane because I'm hungry. Is that noise while ago? <laughs> Y'all just, uh, let's do available again. Do a little bit of that. Frankly, we all need to be baptized with the spirit of Bartimaeus. The blind man who ignored the disapproval of the crowd to cry out to Jesus for mercy. Bartimaeus couldn't see Jesus for himself. He was blind and had to believe in blind faith the testimony of someone else who told him, Jesus is close. We must confess, I'm blind and I can't 
really tell how close he is. But if somebody around me says he's near, then I refuse to let him pass me by. Sometimes the cares of the day and the weariness of life can blind us or numb our senses so that we can't perceive the nearness of God. That didn't stop Bartimaeus. Why should it stop us? When you can't see, feel, or sense the presence of God, that is, to that is the time to find someone who can sense his presence. When this person tells you he's close, that happens sometimes on prayer nights on Wednesday. Lisa Lyman will come up and she, she'll say, he's close. He's close. Somebody else will, will cry out in the room, Jesus! And we think, oh, somebody needs to go settle them down. No, 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 no. It was, it was Bishop Garlington told this story about hunters. And they, there was this, there was this idea, this uh, ideal, I don't know. Uh, they called it, and if you're a real hunter, you know this. It's called, they, these, these are hunters that don't just go out with a gun looking for a deer. They, they travel with dogs, a group of dogs. And there's this term called honoring the point. Anyone ever heard of this? It's like dogs are searching and they're sniffing out whatever they're hunting. And then all of a sudden, one of the dogs will catch it. And all the other dogs will honor the point. And they all just come into agreement. They can't smell it, but this one did. And so they all honor the point. I just want to suggest to you that maybe you come in here from week to week and you don't feel a thing. But... The day has come, and I just want to encourage you to learn how to honor the point. If you see Pastor Nicole leading worship and you don't feel anything, just focus. Get your face in the same direction. Look at the same thing. Listen to the words being spoken. Honor the point. Everybody line up. Let's become one in our focus. Let's become one in our pursuit. Honor the point. Jesus is near. I can't tell, but if he's getting close, I don't want him to pass me by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes all you need to know is that he is near. Can I tell you? He's near. Hungry cries from your heart will draw him closer. What happens when you know he's close and do nothing about it? Bartimaeus was just a blind beggar on the side of the road outside the city of Jericho. But he touched the heart of God with his hungry pleas while the people of Jericho evidently missed their visitation. I'm not going to read it again. Go back and check it out yourself. Jesus was exiting the far side of the city when he encountered blind Bartimaeus. He'd already passed through the entire city and nobody cried out to him until he passed beyond the walls. This begs the question, when he comes, will he stay? The people of Jericho missed their moment. There's another village in John the chapter in the fourth chapter where it says Jesus stayed several more days. Jericho's visitation was never turned into habitation. One blind man saw more than the entire city. And he delayed deity long enough for a miracle. As Jesus passed through the gate, the blind beggar on the side of the road turned to someone standing nearby 
and ask the question, is that him? Just tell me, is that him? Yeah, 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 Bartimaeus, that's him. Then you better get out of my way. I'm about to lose my dignity. I remember Tommy Tenney coined this phrase, you can't preserve your dignity and seek his deity. You can't save your face and seek his face. At some point, you're gonna to have to lose your spiritual manners. You're gonna to have to leave the protocol that you've learned in whatever church background you had about what you're supposed to do, when to do, where to do, how to do. You'll just have to reduce it down to this. Is that him? I think he's in the building. I think he's close. I don't know how you feel, but I refuse to let him get that close and pass me by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Would Jesus pass us by? Absolutely. He would have passed by the disciples when they were rowing a boat across the Sea of Galilee. But they cried out to him. He would have walked past Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus called out and kept calling out until Jesus turned aside to see him. Jesus would have walked past the woman with the issue of blood. But somehow she was able to push through and touch the hem of his garment. In the end, Jesus walked through Jerusalem again and again, countless times over the course of his brief life in the earth. But the religious people of that ancient city missed the moment of their hour of visitation. One of the keys of turning visitation into habitation is to recognize him. Has it been so long since you've seen him? Would you recognize him if he comes on a colt instead of a stallion? Would you embrace his visitation? Would you believe me if I told you someone is knocking at the door of our church right now? He's literally knocking at the door of his own house because he has given us the key. I don't want to see Dwell Church miss her moment, to miss her hour of visitation. If somebody would just open the door, we won't be left to sadly talk about the last time he knocked at our door. Instead, we will be walking with him, fellowshipping with him, worshiping him. Perhaps you sense the gripping in your heart right now that makes you want to shout, Lord, don't pass me by. The spirit of Bartimaeus is growing in my heart. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy. So everybody stand. Everybody stand. Father, I pray right now for the spirit of Bartimaeus to grip your people. May we lay aside the garments of pride that identify us with the blind and lift our voices in worship. Jesus, son of David, we lift our voices in repentance. Have mercy. Have mercy. Come, Lord Jesus, come.
spirit right now that you can just have permission to release in the room. up your heart that you can say here I am lift up your heads oh ye gates be lifted up ye everlasting doors if you open up the door the king of glory will come in I just want to tell you, you have permission to do whatever it is you feel like you want to do right now to respond to this, to, to uh, position yourself, to posture yourself, to respond to this word, to know that he is near. I, I sense him right now in the house. Maybe you still don't feel anything, but let me encourage you to just honor the point. Shift your focus. Trust that somebody else can sense that he is near. He is near.
So we hear the faint knocking of the gentle hand of a loving Savior knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let me in? I, I just want you to know that Monday morning prayer is, is a prophetic response to what God's been stirring in my heart. It's, it is taking the key and opening the door. Everybody might not experience the Monday morning prayer. We had about 20-something, including kids. We had four children. Six a.m. tomorrow morning, but it's Thanksgiving week. I don't care what day it is. I don't care what week it is. The most important thing is that I will demonstrate an open door, another opportunity. Uh, uh, I don't know what tomorrow morning's prayer circle looks like but I know we'll open the door and invite him in we have a building we have a building a house that we want to be his favorite house this week we'll meet on Tuesday instead of Wednesday we'll open the door and know, understand every time you come in here that this, every time you pull the door open, remember this word, God, we open the door to let you in. We will not ignore the knocking of the spirit. We, this is just a prophetic gesture, but know that we are responding to the word of the Lord and we open the door and we come in and we'll be here. We're going to start at the top of the year. We're going to meet every Friday at noon for an hour. We're trying to give people opportunity, but we're just going to open the door. I wish just for one more prophetic gesture, if I get Daniel and Josh to go to these doors and just open the door. Let's, I just want I just want to respond right now. This means this may mean nothing to you. I just want God to see people who will do the unusual and say, "Come in! We open the door, we open the door, we open the door and say, "Come in! Come in, come in, come in. 
Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.